stop talking about Fight Island, cause it's never gonna happen. With the fight selections and the fight reflections, this is fighting with myself, oh oh oh, fighting with myself, oh 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 yeah. Welcome, everybody, to the Fighting With Myself podcast. A podcast for the quarantined MMA fan, hosted by a quarantined man. And I am that man. My name is Juice. And I'm getting day drunk for your entertainment. Did I have to do that? No. But I did that for you. I kid, of course. Um, Well, I'm not really kidding. That is happening. But I only took a few sips right now because I got to be coherent for this first part. But then when I take a break, we're going all in for the forum. Uh, So that's just a little preview of what's yet to come. But for now... Let's give a quick rundown. I'm going to talk about UFC 249 and what's on tap for the month of May for MMA fans, which is sort of a blessing and a curse if we're honest with ourselves. Uh, I'm also going to share some LA stories. Uh, This is a new segment that we just started last week, and I'm going to keep it rolling because I had fun with it and uh, got some positive feedback. And then uh, we're going to end the show with with a nice, proper, drunk forum. So, let's first of all, let's talk about Fight Island. By the way... um, my intros are rarely serious, so if I say stop talking about Fight Island, it's not going to happen, it doesn't mean I actually think it's not going to happen, but to say that it's like 100% going to happen is not true. But also, this is in reference to people talking about UFC 249 as if it's happening on Fight Island. It's not, dude! Hey, we have way too much time on our hands not to be properly informed about this shit. First of all, UFC 249 and the subsequent cards that are happening in May are taking place in the United States. Where? Jacksonville, Florida. Because Florida. Hey, the governor of Florida signed an executive order uh, deeming sports essential. Do I agree with this? No. But I'm grateful. And I was thinking about... uh, Well, I... I was listening to Chael Sonnen, which I rarely do. Uh, I stopped listening to his podcast because he uh, blew Greg Hardy after the inhaler gate. And then he had one of the Trump boys on, dude. No. Hashtag cancel Chael. But he's still the GOAT. And I listen to his YouTube sometimes when the clips pop up. And he had something that when 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 the governor signed that uh, order, the governor of Florida deeming uh, businesses, uh, sorry, deeming sports essential, he started to have a little quick conversation about what makes an essential business. And I was like, yeah, no, sports are not essential. And then he said, well, if you're going to call any work non-essential, we have a problem. And I was like, wait a minute, that kind of makes sense. Like, Chael's a way of making me think uh, about things that I think are wrong, which is why I need to listen to him more often. But I just I just can't bring myself to, dude, he compared Greg Hardy to Machida. That's a sin. That's a cardinal sin. But I digress. Uh, Chael had a very good point about that. And so while I disagree with the fact that sports are essential, I do like the idea that all work is essential. Um, Which is not to say that um, my work is essential, because it's not, but it is essential for me to be working, and I'm not. So uh, I can't be mad at anyone involved in this for, for wanting opportunity to make money for their family. 
Because while we love to say that the main event fighters are getting paid enough to um, sit out the rest of the year, that one may may not be true. Two, it's the guys on the undercard we got to protect. It's it's the the men and women on the undercard that we got to protect, and who are who, the ones who are clamoring to be on these cards. And I can't fault them for that. Uh, and while the UFC and WMEIMG could afford to pay them a stipend to fucking stay at home they're not and they don't have a contractual obligation to do so so here we are and so i've got ahead of myself a little bit i buried the lead which is to say that we are getting three maybe four cards in may what we were told by dana and we were told that we were getting uh ufc 249 on april 18th um so I'm a little hesitant to to believe this, but the fact that the governor of Florida signed that executive order deeming it essential makes me think that there's almost nothing that can prevent this from happening. So what's happening is on May 9th, we're getting UFC 249, and I guess that's the case because it's essentially the same card. But I, dude, Brad Okamoto had a tweet that said something about it's happening May 9th, tell your friends. UFC 249 is happening, tell your friends. And I was like, hey, no, I'm telling my friends it's UFC 250 because UFC 249 got canceled. You know why? Because I had tickets and I just got the refund from Ticketmaster. Did it take way too long? Yes. Uh, is that okay because we're in a pandemic? Yes, that's fine. But if it's the same card, I guess you can call it 249. But the fact is we've had cards cancel and they don't always, or in fact, most of the time they don't... Uh, change the numbers moving forward uh they keep it the same uh ufc i, I want to say it was 151 the card that uh, john jones wouldn't fight chael sonnen because dan henderson pulled out on like eight days notice that card got canceled and the next card was called ufc 152 if my number is correct whatever the next number is uh same thing with ufc what was it 208 whatever the card that was supposed to be in anaheim and then there was another card supposed to be in anaheim like Anaheim just got fucked raw but um yeah, that's the math of it. Can you tell it's already kicking in? Yes. Please don't turn away. I need you. Um, so we're getting UFC 249 on May 9th in Jacksonville, Florida. And then we're getting three cards that week. on. Uh, so that's one of them. And then the other one is the 13th and the 16th. Which have not been announced. So I'm worried. I think May 9th is going to happen. But... If, if, if we're going to cobble together uh, two other cards with people that have likely not been in training or at least not in a full camp and all the bouts have not yet been agreed to, I don't know about it, dude. I don't know about it. The fact is our sport started in days when people didn't have camps and they didn't know who they were fighting until minutes before. But things are different now. And that's not how we operate. And if we want our sport to evolve and to grow, we need a little bit more structure than this. This is this is taking our sport so many years back, dude. I I don't feel good about it. And and I want to stop preaching because hey, I'm watching and I know that. And and by the way, dude, first of all, shout out to Fuck Yugi and I Poke MMA podcast. On his latest episode, he had a great question from uh the homie Ray, uh Darce underscore smokes from Ray's Almond Pot of Soup. 
which is also a great podcast. He had a question about what is stopping the UFC from getting, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he said, what is stopping the UFC from getting to the heights of the NBA and the NFL? Uh, I don't know if it was just in terms of viewership or just in terms of over- overall fandom. And Yugi had the best answer of all time, dude. And he was saying how, hey, if you're a fan and you complain about the Reebok deal and ESPN deal and uh, fighter pay, but also stream pay-per-views, you're a fucking hypocrite. And I was like, that's the shit I agree with. And I changed the words on that because I got to keep you on your toes. Now, Dana also said there's going to be another card on May 23rd. Hey, that hasn't been officially agreed to. Did I get that wrong? Probably. But what I meant to say is the report I read said that the other ones are apparently like finalized and then May 23rd one they're working on. So they haven't had the other ones announced, but apparently they have the bouts and the May 23rd one they're working on. So in my mind, we're getting three cards. I'm not talking about that fourth card, dude. Especially it's on my um, it's on my sister's birthday. Um, which is not to say that I'm like, gonna, we'd be missing out on her birthday by having a UFC card, but uh, I don't know. We're in a pandemic and, and shit is weird right now. He also said that the UFC and Dana White submitted a 30-point plan to the governor of Nevada to be able to get their fights there at the Apex, probably, and that was denied, and so that's why they they moved to Florida. (sighs) See, this is the problem. In the early days of the UFC, they literally, literally ran away from regulation what was it, UFC 16 or whatever, where they where they were supposed to have a, an event, or maybe it was 12, it was probably 12. They were supposed to have an event in New York, and like on a day and a half notice, the the governor of New York or, or some, some sort of governing body in New York was like, hey man, get that shit out of my state. So they moved to Dothan, Alabama, and they put everyone on a fucking plane, all the shit on a bus, and then they moved to Puerto Rico, and then they just literally ran away from regulation. And then when, the, when Dana White bought the UFC... And Zufa and the Fertitta brothers, they proudly said, they ran away from regulation, we're running toward regulation. This is a new era, we are changing the face of the sport. Fine. Now they're doing the opposite. Now they are running away from regulation. It makes me a little bit, I feel a little bit better the fact that uh, the governor signed it, which means the commission is going to regulate it. And they're not going to have to have like Mike Mazzulli involved or fucking Mark Ratner doing the sanctioning. However, there's this looming thing of Fight Island. Now, let's talk about Fight Island for a second. It's cute and it's fun. And it's fun to say, let's have all these, uh, you know, let's have a fucking moat around the octagon. Let's have fire. Let's have uh, obstacle courses. Let's have uh, amusement park. Hey. It's a bit reckless, number one. Number two. I still don't think it's 100% happening. This shit is expensive. Like, oh my God. I, 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 I can't even begin to think about the, the, the craziness and the logistics involved in putting the fight on, on, on an island. And, and why I'm not going super hard is because, number one, I don't have the knowledge to be able to go in on it. God, Steffi Haynes had a great thread, and I meant to save it, and I fucking didn't. But it was like... It was like, hey, if we're going to have you... This is back when it was on Fray for Latins, by the way. This is how long ago it was, but this is how my memory works. Um, it was like, hey, if we're going to have UFC 249, we need some questions answered. And it was a thread of all these like fair questions about how they're going to 
uh, fucking get this shit done. And speaking of Dana having a 30-point plan, I'm pretty sure there was more than 30 questions, which tells you all you need to know. And by the way, Steffi's a former nurse, so she knows this shit. I, I just think we need more questions answered about Fight Island. Fight Island. I think we need a lot more questions answered. Not only about Fight Island, but about these events on, on May 9th, dude, in Jacksonville, Florida. We need so many more questions. The fact that they're being shady and not telling us everything is just peak UFC. It's peak MMA, peak Dana White. Unforgivable. I was about to say I want to end this segment on a bit of a positive note, but it's it's not really a positive note, but uh, I want to I'll do it in a way that's sort of with a positive spin. And that, that is to give a shout out to one of our own who's going through some tough times. And uh, I used to end the uh, opening segments of my podcast with a positive shout out to someone in the community. And I stopped doing that because I realized that uh, not all those people listen and it was weird. And then it would exclude people who have been listening from the get-go. And so I just, I've always... I want to revert to my old ways, which is just to shout out everyone who sends in a question because you're collaborating, you're part of it, you're engaged in the conversation. But I, I want to shout out G, uh, G Spot MMA, because uh, she lost her yaya, and uh, her and I were having a conversation about just all, all the other people in her circle are affected, and it's really fucking tragic. And uh, she has a GoFundMe, so I wanted to shout that out. Um, so I, I retweeted it on my um, Aaronish Jackson account. Uh, she probably retweeted from the FWM account since I'm uh, doing it from the show. But um, it's also on her Instagram. If you follow her, it's on uh, the link is in her bio. That's sort of an easy place to find it. But um, she wrote some very nice words in the, I don't know what you call that, the description of the GoFundMe or the uh, what it's about. And I wanted just to read that because it's a little bit of a tribute and just to say what it's for. The origin of the name Yaya is synonymous with the word mother. Various cultures from different regions of the world believe that Yaya is the highest form of womanhood achieved by motherhood. Every person blessed to be acquainted with Marie Yaya Enoshige was touched by her generous nature, which is why I am bringing us together to celebrate her life and memory. Yaya was a mother to every person in life she met. Yaya was not educated in the traditional sense, but she was a headmaster when it came to the school of love and care. Yaya spent her life selfless and dedicated to others while child-rearing and caring for the elderly at senior quarters assisted living home as a health care aide. There is not a single child who Yaya took care of and reared who would call her nanny. A nanny is an employee, and Yaya was never employed by any family to take care of a child. Yaya is considered a mother to all because she became a part of every family that ever allowed themselves to be blessed by her love, grace, and sense of humor. Yaya raised Vladimir and Gina Levesque from the moment each of them was born up until the day she was called home by God. She never stopped calling to make sure we had eaten. She never stopped giving us a dollar each for Christmas and our birthdays. She never stopped caring about us, her family, and friends. Yaya was a mother to all of us, and she was a mother to the very end. The money raised in this GoFundMe will be used to memorialize her at St. Hugh of Lincoln Church in Huntington Station and to allow her family an appropriate post-COVID celebration of her life and her journey home. She is survived by her son, Reginald Gay, grandson, Francois Idersen Bunyani, and her sister, Marie Gay, but also Vladimir and Gina Levesque. 
Many of us are out of work due to the pandemic, so our family is deeply appreciative of any contributions to send our beloved Yaya home. We are thanking you all so very much. Please stay safe and in good health. And I'm sorry that if this was a little bit too um, touchy-feely to have on the podcast, I'm sorry if it uh, hit a little too close to home for anyone going through anything, but my hope is that uh, we can all rally behind uh, G, and um, this is just so sad, and I and I want to just send her all the love and, and positivity we can. She hasn't been as active on the timeline because she's going through it, and that's okay. You know, I, w- I was talking to her about, you know, grief we have to go we have to allow ourselves to go through the full five stages which is uh acronym called dabda which is denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance and sometimes you go through that in a cycle maybe skip the last step and go through the first four on repeat and until you get to that final step it's okay to grieve and um you know in, in your own way however that may be so um, much love to G and her family. Much love to Yaya and Yaya's family. And uh, that's where we're going to end it here. So let's take a quick break and we'll get into some L.A. stories. Slowly I'm driving, sunset in Highland, thinking out loud. All of the dive bars and wanna be jive stars. That ain't my crowd You know I saw an angel At a pink sidewalk table She had that look in her eye I want more than just one night Maybe I'll be giving up on love in LA Nobody came my way And I have to say I'm giving up on love in this town. Nobody cool around. Wish I could say I found love in LA. I wanted to open with that because it sort of encapsulates my sort of love hate relationship with LA and why this uh, segment exists. And it's because I'm, I was thinking about the times in my life that meant the most to me. And uh, sort of where I am now, I'm going through a bit of a quarter-life crisis. And that is because uh, you hear me talk about on the show all the time that I have a degree in acting, and that's what I went to school for. When you're an actor, you can't just get a degree in your field and then just walk right into a job. There is no internship program. There's no externship program. There is no sort of like path. I mean, there's people without training who make it big. I mean, the shit is crazy. And uh, when I was in LA, uh, I had a lot of momentum coming out of college. And I I was in a play that uh, was very well received by uh, acclaimed theater director that won awards. And then there was just nothing and I had to get a job. And then that was it, you know, providing for me and, and Kate. Uh, became number one and um, I've been getting back into the theater over the past couple years since I moved to New Jersey which is crazy because the whole time I was in the thick of it I wasn't doing anything and then now I'm away from it I'm doing way more than I ever did Um, which is pretty dumb on my part but um, when I was there I kind of had like a, a bitter feeling about the business and the industry 
Uh, I felt like I gave it uh, everything and got nothing in return. And that's sort of the wrong way to look at it. So I've been trying to reverse that and look back on sort of some of the positives about my time there. And um, I'm very proud to to be living in New Jersey now. You know, I, I rep uh, where I where I am. Like, it's not always where you're from. It's where you are sometimes. And, uh, you know, I, I've bounced around a lot. I grew up in Vegas. People always think of me from as being from the West Coast because I live there uh, predominantly. But uh, I've been in Jersey the past two years, and it feels like my forever home. But I'm always going to miss L.A., and I'm always going to miss uh, my time there and wonder, like, what could have been. Um None of this really has anything to do with the stories I'm about to tell. I just kind of wanted to explain a little bit about this segment and what it means to me. Um, I also wanted to say that, you know, it's not always about celebrities. I think I said that last time and then I told two stories that had a celebrity involved. But um, none of these ones do. And um, the first one is that uh, I was having, I guess you would call it brunch because it was like a late breakfast. But that sounds like... A fucking like sex and city style thing like we're having my mouth as or whatever no it was just like i took my buddy who was uh coming in from out of town to visit uh to this cafe it was my favorite cafe i don't know it's still there it was on hollywood and la brea it's called tiago i used to fucking rave about this place because they had the best food even though they had like a very limited menu because it was predominantly a coffee shop but they had an actual kitchen where they cooked food and they would make like omelets and they had like salads on the menu and, and like pancakes and they had the best food and the best coffee they always brewed either black cat or intelligentsia and if you know about coffee dude you know that those two coffees are the shit it's the only coffee at that point in my life that i could drink black that was when i was still putting nasty bullshit on my coffee but i could drink that black because it's so good I was sitting at this cafe and they had outdoor seating that was right on Hollywood Boulevard. So the Walk of Fame is right there. And I didn't know this at the time, but it was right near Bob Marley star. And um, by the way, names are redacted from this story. Um, yeah, just because I don't think they would want their names to be on, but it doesn't really matter. And I also probably don't even listen to the podcast. But um, I was sitting with one, with my good friend uh, who had gone to school with us and then left and came back. We always just, just joke that anyone <laughs> anyone who left, we would like left our school or like moved back home or whatever, we would say that they're no longer with us, which is something you say when someone dies. It's kind of a morbid thing, but we used to say like, oh yeah, he died because he's no longer with us. <laughs> so we used to call my friend like um, dead blank, like whatever his name was, we would add the dead thing like, oh, like which blank? regular blank or dead blank and uh so i was I, I was eating some uh some some food and having some coffee with my with my dead buddy and these three homeless like teenagers well they were probably like a little bit younger than us or maybe around the same age one of them was definitely younger one of them maybe a little bit older but just sort of a group of like young uh homeless kids were like hey will you take a picture of us smoking a bowl on bob marley's star it like meant a lot to them and i was like yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Um, and my dead buddy, I'll keep calling him that because it's funny to me, was like hanging back, kind of felt weird about it. And I was like, bro, you haven't been away from the city that long. Like, there's nothing to be afraid of, like uh, random homeless teenagers. Yeah, they're dirty as fuck. Not to say that all they all are, but these ones definitely were. Um, but um, 
they wanted to put like their uh little wares that they had like one i think one of them was a happy hacky sack one of them was like a little photo of something it, they wanted to make it look like they were living there and that they were living you know in the spirit of bob marley and they wanted to ha- smoke a bowl on his star and uh they invite they asked if i wanted to to take a hit as well before i took the picture and i, I was like of course dude and I, so i smoked a bowl with these kids which is something i would normally not do like normally i'd be like uh i don't know what you fucking lace this with like i'm so paranoid about taking any sort of fucking drugs from anybody I don't know, uh, which is not to say that cannabis is a drug, but at the time, like, I was kind of considered it that. Um, and I and I smoked the ball, and then, and then they <laughs> and I asked my friend if he wanted to, and he was like, no, because I don't like jail. And these kids, like, laughed, and they were like, man, if, if, if cops saw us, they would just laugh and move on to some real crime happening uh, further down the boulevard. And I was like, yeah, dude, that's fucking right. And then I, so I smoked this bowl and then we left and that, the whole time I was walking, I was just, I was feeling so happy that I was here with my buddy, even though he was weird about the situation that I had met those kids and that we we're walking back to my apartment to go hang out with my friend that I hadn't seen in like, I mean, other than just then, like hadn't been seeing him uh, for a while. And, uh, we had a phenomenal time. That was also an apartment. I, I don't know if I said this before when I was in college, I lived in an apartment with, um, myself uh, my two buddies who I've mentioned on the podcast, Leo and Andrew, uh, Leo, who you heard on the podcast, Andrew, who was on, you know, the co-host of my other podcast, which some of you have listened to, um, and, and like four girls um, who won't be mentioned because they probably don't listen to the podcast anyway. Um, and then eventually it became like this, this apartment became like a hostel. Uh, we, we called it, our school was named AMDA. We used to call it the AMDA hostel because people, the people were always in and out and like roommates were rotating um, in and out. Um, but I was just so happy to that. I met those kids and I was going back to my apartment filled with all these people that, and normally like, I like my space and I'm very sort of territorial about my shit, but it never felt too small. It was a, like a two bedroom apartment plus a den that we turned into another bedroom. So we kind of had three bedrooms and two people to a bedroom and it never felt too much. It never felt too much. Even when at one point there was like nine people in there, uh, I mean, at that point, it was a little bit much, but um, we made it work somehow, and those were some good times. This next one is also a little weird, so that I, I'm only going to do two. I think I, I like keeping it to two per segment, you know, per episode. Um, but I was thinking about the, the time, like right, right when I met Kate, um, before we started officially dating, and. Um, I was working at a restaurant you've heard me mention on the podcast and on the last LA Stories episode um, called Juicy Burger. And that was just a time where we would, like I would come to work drunk sometimes. Like one time I, uh, there was a house party that was going on in my building, uh, like down down the on the same floor, like around the corner from my apartment where I had six, seven, eight people living with us. Um, and I took like six jello shots because <laughs> I also didn't know that they didn't kick in until later. And then like, a half hour into my shift, they all hit, and I was like, okay. Uh, but we, we could do that because the clientele didn't give a fuck, and the work was so easy. And it was also, like, in the middle of the club scene, so, like, they couldn't tell. It was just a good time. But we I was working at, uh, at this restaurant, and I was working with my, my good friend, um, who, again, won't mention her name, but um, her and I, uh, she's one of my um, dearest friends, even though we haven't kept contact that much, but... Um, the moment her and I met, like we recognized like kindred spirits, like we were two of the only vegetarians in our dorm building at the time. We would talk about stuff like that. We would talk about 
uh, religion and just spiritual stuff. And at one point we had like made a pact that if, if we ever like reached 30 and we're on like, you know, you hear in movies all the time that people say like, Oh, if we're both 30 and I'm married, like we'll, we'll get married. Uh, but it was, it wasn't ever like a romantic thing. It was just more like a human being like connection thing. Like we never ever had any, like any sort of relationship that was beyond just friends. But, um, that just shows you how much we kind of like were connected in that way. And, um, we were working at this restaurant with someone who didn't go to school with us, but who I knew from having worked a lot of shifts with him, like separately before um, my other friends started working there. Uh, and I knew he was chill as fuck and was also a kindred spirit. And uh, at one point we had a shift, the three of us, and I think it was the first time the three of us worked together. Um, she turned to me. Or actually, she, she probably wasn't even looking at me i think she was looking at him he was like wiping down tables in the dining room and we were behind the counter and she goes what a specimen and she had, had never said that about anybody um so i was like this needs to happen i need them to be together i'm gonna make this happen and i never before or since have i tried to play matchmaker uh at least in this way and i was like i gotta make this happen and then i don't know if it was later that night or the next shift i she wasn't around and i i turned no to I almost said his name to the, to the gentleman. And I was like, bro, she's really into you. And I don't know if you're into her, but I think you should be. And he like sort of like smiled and nodded and then walked away. And then later on came up to the two of us and said, Hey, we should go out. The three of us, let's go out. Let's hit a bunch of bars and just go crazy. And, and I don't normally do that sort of thing. I, I didn't. And I was just like, fuck yeah. And so the three of us, like that weekend or or whatever, we went on a like a pub crawl, like all over Hollywood and just did just so much, so much drinking. And and I I, I don't I don't like when, when drinking becomes a competition. And like if, if I say how how much we drank, uh someone's gonna say, Oh, that ain't nothing. Like back in my day, I was like, bro, stop. Just stop. But um, we went all over the place. And, and what I loved about this is that we went all the different places. Like n n nothing was ever the same. Like the first bar we went to was this Irish bar that was like sort of classy. It, it was the spot that everyone went to because they had like $3 pints. But then they also had like expensive drinks too. Like it was really a crowd for everybody. And then we went to this rock bar that had nothing but like fucking beer and like whiskey and uh, I think that was the same bar that had like a pole in the middle, like if someone wanted to like dance on the pole for some random reason. Um, but we went all over the place. We even went to a jazz like piano bar and there was like dueling pianos and uh, I was drinking wine thinking like, this is the fucking place, dude. This is the place. And uh, sometimes we would buy, buy each other drinks. Sometimes we would uh, buy our own drinks. We never like, it was just unspoken. It was just like a time when the three of us were like all in sync. And then we got to the last place, um, the last place we were actually, we hit up, we needed some food. So we, we went to our work, uh, because we were like, we need some of those fries in our system to kind of soak up some of this booze so we don't go crazy. And, uh, across the street from our work and we would see this place all the time was a strip club called Deja Vu. And I think that's what it was called. I think I can say that because it's just a place of business that exists. Uh, anyways, I already said the restaurant, which is no longer in existence and they had a sign out front, which, which said, <laughs> which said thousands of pretty girls, 
and three ugly ones. <laughs> and I was always like, dude, I respect that they would put that, even though I reject the idea that anyone would be ugly in anyone's eye that's going to take off their clothes for drunk people. Well, actually, what they it was no alcohol in there, but obviously people would drink and then come there, um, like us. And we went there. And <laughs> and this is the time of the night when, like, uh, this gentleman uh, that I was with, my my buddy, was, like, ready to make his move. And he and I was, um, I, I guess we were all single, but I was, this is where uh, Kate comes in, actually, because I was uh, talking, I was, just barely had met Kate. And we were sort of talking at that point. And I remember before it was either before going into the strip club or uh, one of the bars before then. I called her and I was like, drunk dial number one. And I hung up. And it was meant to be a series of like multiple ones. But bro, I was so drunk that I forgot to do more. <laughs> so she was like mad at me. That's the next day, like, what the fuck was that? Drunk dial number one? Like nothing else? Like what the fuck? Who is this? And it almost ruined us. But then uh, I was just kind of grateful for that for that to happen. But we went to this strip club and right away, this, this guy, I don't know if he was just like so much more coherent than the rest of us, or maybe secretly he'd been pumping me full of drinks to get me so drunk that I was like not ready for what was about to happen. He goes, all right, I'm buying you a lap dance, pick whichever one you want. That's what you're going to get. And I was, bro, I'm telling you, I was like a kid in a candy store. I was so happy that this guy wanted wanted to to give me a left hand and i was like yes dude yes and um i picked one out and i won't say how i or why i did um that's not meant to be spoken about uh but just just to let you know i was it was just something that i'd never really go for and um she started dancing on me <laughs> and i look over and i see them making out and i was just like Dude, I was so happy that that finally happened. I was more focused on that than the lap dance. Even though I was really happy about the lap dance, I was more happy about that and just maybe enjoy the lap dance more. And it's funny because I had never been to a strip club prior, and I think that's the only time I've ever been. I haven't been with my boys uh, after that since. Like, I didn't have that at my bachelor party. It wasn't that kind of party, you know. But my the only thing I knew about uh, getting a lap dance like for just from movies and whatever was that like you're not allowed to touch the fucking first thing that happens is she grabs my hands and puts them on her titties and i was like what kind of heaven is this where have i gone did i die and go to heaven like i was just so over the moon and uh love it and, and then dude she tells me her name and then tells me like but that's my stripper name my name is my real name is this and i was like was like my drunk self at first was like she wants to connect with me and then i was like no she just said that just so i could feel that way and then so that i will buy another dance and i was like i felt kind of shitty after that and then but i was so happy i was not gonna let that ruin the night i i, I went and sat down the dance was probably like five minutes like it wasn't a lot obviously it's probably usually like one song right um and and then i sit down at this bar that was there like not uh a bar where they serve drinks like it was I, I guess the rule is that at least in california or wherever you are um if if they go fully nude not just topless then they are not allowed to serve alcohol so there was no alcohol there it was 18 and up versus 21 and up and I, I just had this massive smile on my face from the the dance and not only by, by my 
my best fr- one of my best friends making out with a guy who is now my new friend that I just I know that they're destined to be, they're still together to this day by the way this was like 2012 this was early 2012 so they've been together eight years and um I was just so happy for them and I'm sitting there getting this like uh, I just got the lap dance and I'm sitting and then someone else is on stage dancing and bro the the seats that are like right around the stage like right around the ring of it was all full of these just like creepy dudes like kind of mean mugging all, almost like yeah girl like you know what I'm talking about like not smiling enjoying themselves just like kind of like um, I, I want to say even like one of them was like licking their lips just fucking like pure like misogynist creepy shit right and I'm sitting there smiling like a little boy and the the stripper on stage or the dancer whatever you want to call uh them uh because hey don't don't hate get your work in you know that that's female empowerment. She looks over at me and starts laughing that I'm smiling, dude. <laughs> I was like, "Am I not supposed to be this way? Are people not supposed to enjoy themselves? Like, what the fuck?" And uh, I don't remember much after that, to be honest. I know that was the last place we went. I know that uh, we took a, a subway home, uh, which is not like an NYC subway where you can get anywhere. It's where you have to like walk to to go just to one end of the town, and you got to walk home and. Um, I just remember that um, me and me and my my friend, uh, the, the girl, took took the subway together because we lived the, the, near the same stop uh, on the other side of town, and we were both like just really happy. And I could tell like this this was it. Our plan worked, or his plan worked, and and me assisting in that plan, or me starting the motion like that worked. And, uh, uh, I hope I hope they're uh, doing well. We we keep in contact lightly, but it's just one of those things where. It's weird, like, they moved to New York, actually, when I was still in L.A., and then, like, right a few months before I moved to New Jersey, they moved back to L.A., and we never, we never like, caught up. We never linked up before I left town, and, and I'm a little sad about that. So, I'm sorry, by the way, this is, like, I meant for this to be, like, hilarious, and it's turning into, like, a really sad segment, and uh, I guess I got to end it here, because now we got to get into the forum, and uh, that's really what you came here for. It's time for the moment FWM fans around the world has been waiting for. The Forum. Way too excited about that. Forgive me. We just have some great questions. And I'm just so thankful for everyone that's been participating in the Forum during this quarantine. Um, Without getting too specific, uh... Engagement has been down, and I don't fault anyone for that. It, it's it's a time when you don't, you don't want to focus on on things that are are not there. Like it's just a podcast about MMA when there is no MMA, so I get it. But uh, I'm just I'm super thankful for anyone listening. Super thankful for anyone sending in questions, and we got some great ones. So let us uh, let us not delay any further. Let's start off the first one. Hola, Mr. Jackson. This is Jason Scott Adams from Twitter. I'm sending a voice message this week instead of written for something different to do, I guess. Uh, here's my question for one of my favorite podcasts. What's your favorite UFC weight division, male or female, and why? For me, it's the women's flyweight division, actually, since I was able to watch it from its humble beginnings a few years ago back in The Ultimate Fighter, and I've gotten to know and grown to love uh, a lot of the fighters in that division. Uh, love Jessica Evil Eye. Love so much jojo calderwood um i'm a huge fan of roxanne uh the roxy 
uh, really like Andrew KGB Lee. Um, <laughs> and I started watching uh, Meatball Molly McCann back in the Cage Warrior days, so I really love her. And uh, and you know the Shevchenko sisters are just uh, they're something different. Uh, and I think all they do is train and post on Instagram. But <laughs> I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on and your what your favorite uh, weight division was. Great, great question. Big shout out to this guy. Go give him a follow at Jason Scott Adams. And bro, you may not uh, know this about me. He's been not, not been listening that long. But my favorite fighter of all time is Roxanne Modafferi. So what you just said, I echo completely. Uh, if you don't um, know why, um, shameless plug, episode 16 of this podcast. I, I laid it all out there. I told my whole story behind finding Roxanne and why she means uh, so much to me and why she's my favorite fighter. So go check that out if you haven't. Um, and Molly McCann is like right behind her, dude. Like Israel Adesanya right now is my second favorite fighter that's actively fighting. Biz being the second of all time. But um, dude, Molly McCann is like right up there. This is why I have such a hard time like picking favorites because I just I just love everybody so much. <laughs> but I also have a lot of hate. You guys know that. I'm a hater. So uh, it's hard for me. But I love, 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 love the women's flyweight division for that reason. Valentina is uh, a force. To be reckoned with, she is a generational talent, um, and, and and it's crazy to me, um, just just how like we don't even know her ceiling really because we haven't seen her against uh, competition that can really sort of match except for Amanda Nunes. And there are people that say Valentina should have got the decision on the second fight. It was too close to call for me. I think I had Amanda barely, but it was such a close fight that uh, you know it is what it is. Uh, but she's really been the only one that can test. Um, uh, Valentina, Amanda, and, and she's she's the the greatest of all time right now in, in terms of female, uh, you know, women's MMA. So, yeah, I love the women's fight division. But if I had to pick a favorite, honestly, um, it would probably be 170. I just think like a lot of the most exciting fights are in that division, and it's sort of the most coveted. Like in my opinion, the greatest of all time right now is uh, George St. Pierre, and uh, it really the, the only like the two that I hear the most are GSP and John Jones. But I think to be called the greatest of all time, you kind of have to have been done fighting. Like your body of work has to stand alone. And, and we haven't seen the rest of John's career yet. So that's just my opinion. And again, the, like I hate talking about the whole GOAT debate because it's fucking barbershop top. There's no way to quantify it. Everyone has their own definition of it. Everyone has their own criteria or whatever. Uh, for me, it's a GSP, but I, I, I don't, um, I'm not bullish on that. So, uh, I mean, just just the lineage of that division. Like Matt Hughes was at one point considered the greatest fighter. Like he fought Hoist Gracie, who was the greatest before him. Um, obviously, that was like a fucking one sided beatdown. But like you know, Hoist started it all and weighed in kind of one like one seventy five. Like you know what I mean? So um, that to me is is my favorite division. Uh, it also has just some of the most uh, exciting fights. Like anything that Masvidal is in. Um. The Kamaru Usman Colby fight was really exciting. Vicente Luque fucking goes to war every time he steps in the cage. Nico Price goes to war. Muslim King of Kung Fu Salikov is in that division. Oh my god, dude! Getting a boner talking about Muslim Salikov. I'm the biggest Muslim Salikov fan you know, and it's not even close. Uh, so maybe Hinksta, he loves all the Russians, like proper loves them. Just kidding. Shout out to Hinksta. Love that guy. Um... But yeah, if I had to pick, it was 170. But dude, like 155 is close. Obviously, 185 with uh, Israel Adesanya has got 
some really exciting storylines right now. Um, it changes. It, it's ever changing. Um, so it's, it's hard to pick one, but yeah, dude, I love, I love women's flyweight too. Um, and I love men's flyweight when, uh, when, when Demetrius Johnson was in there, like whenever, when, every time Demetrius Johnson fights, it's, um, it's incredible. Juicy baby. Gangas. What's poppin'? My bad brother. It's been a while. I fell to the bottom of the bottle. Was never a good swimmer, so I had to drink all that shit and then fucking climb my way out. But I'm back. Uh got a very important question for you. The Green Ranger or Raphael from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Who you got winning a straight up MMA fight? No fucking weapons, just hand to hand combat. You're going to spit out your opinion, and then I'll call in next week and tell you why you're wrong. All right, brother. Appreciate you. First of all, the irony of, of him opening up talking about um, falling in the bottom of a bottle and having to drink his way out, and I'm answering this drunk as a motherfucker right now, is not lost on me. The irony of that is not lost on me. But... Um, you know, I, I always love when, when Genghis comes on the podcast because he was probably the first voice message to have been sent. And uh, it just really means a lot whenever he sends uh, something in. So shout out to Genghis. Um, R.I.P. girl. And uh, shout out to all the hitters. <laughs> Man, I'm getting emotional for no reason. Uh, this was a great question because I love outside the box questions. And you know what? I'm sticking with Raphael, and here's why. Hear me out. First of all, the the turtles were born to be fighters. You know, created from what was it, the sludge or whatever made them, and then Splinter trained them. You know, having Splinter as your teacher, uh, like that means that's everything. Like who who would the fucking Power Rangers have in their corner? Especially the Green Ranger? Fuck out of here, Green Ranger. Well, the Green Ranger is probably the best one. Um, I went to college with some guy who played, I want to say the Silver Ranger in the new one that came out a few years ago. And he's a, he's a nice guy. He actually worked at that burger restaurant that I mentioned from the LA segment. Um, really nice guy. <laughs> But uh, I gotta pick Raphael, and not not to mention that dude. If you're talking about an MMA fight, dude, like we're talking about a sanctioned MMA fight where where there's grappling and stand-ups and rules, and you cannot keep a turtle on their back. First of all, I would say the the Power Ranger is primarily a striker, and that the turtle's grappling would be a fucking that's the X factor, dude. And so get him down, and even if the the fucking the the Power Ranger were to put him on his back. You can turn on the back to roll off, dude. And he's heavier on top. He's heavy on top. And he's going to choke him out. Got that turtle strength. Turtles with a half shell. Turtle power. Fuck yeah, dude. Great question. <laughs> so ridiculous, my answer. Lost the crock juice. It's Jake from GMMAP here. Hope you're keeping well. Uh, hope you're all keeping well. All of you that are listening to me right now. Um, my question for you during these very puzzling times uh, is that will you be putting any bets on this UFC 249 card? I know that I'm actually going to throw a fiver on somebody, but you're not going to figure out who that somebody is until May 8th. So everybody go listen to GMMAP, okay? 
May 8th, right? I'm going to market the fuck out of that episode, right? And Juice, you know, you're always uh, you're always very welcome onto the show. It would be a pleasure to have you on there on, on May 8th. So, May 8th, uh, May 8th. And uh, stay safe, Juice. Thanks for the question, Jake. I would love him to come on, but to be honest with you, it's just sometimes a random Skype call, and I'm never never in a place where I can take that call. And um, if there was a bit more structure and um, maybe a scheduled time, I would love to come on. Uh, but I would primarily love to come on with you and Hayden. I don't really know any of the other lads that are on that call, and um, uh, you and Hayden are, are the crack. And, and to answer your question at the beginning, what's the crack? The crack is 92. That's the crack. And to answer your other question, will I be placing any bets uh, for this 249 card? No, I am not a betting man. There are a few reasons for that. One, my father growing up was a professional sports handicapper. He made his living on telling people what to bet on football, basketball. We're talking proper American football, by the way. I know I'm doing Irish dialect and it's bad. It's really bad, but I will never say football and refer to soccer. I never will. So football, basketball, hockey, maybe not hockey, baseball. He made his living by telling people what to bet. And I saw the degenerates that are involved in the gambling game and how the gambler's fallacy is real. And that's never something I want to fall into. Not only that, I've tried to bet on two fights. One didn't really go through, but if it had, I would have lost. And the first one, I lost badly. And do you know why? That is because I am incapable of separating my emotions from my brain. And I will not force that upon myself. Now, I I tried for about a day and a half to place a bet on Roxanne when she was a plus 650 underdog going up against Macy Barber. Because I was certain she was going to knock Macy Barber into next fucking week. But I did not. Because I live in a state where that is really hard. And the dialect is getting worse the more this question continues. I thought it would be better with me being drunk, to be honest with you. But it's worse. So, yeah. I will not be betting. Place your bet wherever you like. Um, if you bet against Tony, I'll fucking strangle you. I'm going to come across the fucking Atlantic. And I'm going to strangle you. I'm going to darsh you on GP. And that's not GMMAP. That's GP as in general principle. Uh, fuck out of here. Fuck out of here. Fuck out of here with this dialect. Uh, thanks, Jake. Go, guys, go check out GMMAP. A couple of lads talking MMA. Uh, it's a good time. They they run rampant. And uh, it's it's good shit. Again, if, if we can set a time where it's just you and me and Hayden, I am down and let's do it. Which is not to offend anyone else on the call, but one time I was ambushed, I went on there... There was a fucking, there was a time when, when I answered the call because I was free and this motherfucker who's hiding behind a fucking fake Avi says I look like a crackhead Anthony Smith and then called me the N-word, dude. What the fuck? Then called me a gap tooth something or other and I believe the F-word was thrown around. Not fuck, that's the word N that rhymes with maggot. Bro, that was the worst thing of all time. So I was burned. I was burned from that. I know he's been banned, but I'm, I'm still burned. So if we can set a time, it's just you, me, and Hayden, and I can get as drunk as I possibly want to, or maybe as high as I possibly want to, I am in, dude. I'm in.
what's going on? This is Jason Weimer in Georgia. Still on lockdown, quarantine time. It's Sunday. How you doing, friend? On the West Coast. When are we going to get together and do a show? My question. Over and out. Have a great day. So much to dissect there. I'm glad that uh, whatever was going on in the background died down because uh, uh, I was worried at the start of that question. Um, great guy. Go follow him. I believe it's JL's perspective. It's JL Weimer is, is, the, is the man. Um, great guy. Part of IATSE, I believe, which is a theater union, which is important. It's like for, for set building. Um, and there's more to it, I mean, obviously. But um, great, great fucking guy. And hey... Uh, I didn't know you had a show, so uh, link that to me, and uh, I will gladly come on your show uh, if we can set up a time. Let's do it. Also, I'm not on the West Coast anymore. I, I haven't been for the entirety of this podcast. Uh, I moved to New Jersey in 2017, uh, like in October 2017, and I have been here ever since. And uh, unless an opportunity arises uh, for me to move to San Diego or Canada, preferably Montreal, I am staying here for the rest of my life. Hey there, Juice. Smokey J here from fucking Australia. I don't really have anything MMA-related for you this week, so I will pose this question for you. If fucking Frodo Baggins and Jon Snow were to swap universes and to take on each other's journeys, who do you think would make it the furthest, and who do you think would fare better? Ah, oh, that's really all fucking who's going to come out of it better, man, Frodo or Jon Snow. That's all. Bye. Bro, I love this question. First of all, even when there are fights, non-MMA questions are much appreciated. Um, unless I do not get the reference. Like if you ask me a question about who's the greatest rapper of all time, I will not have an answer that you will be satisfied with. Or if you ask me about a show called Power, which I've only ever uh, heard talked about in the timeline but know nothing about, I will not know the answer. Um but I'm very acquainted with Lord of the Rings and very acquainted with Game of Thrones. And those questions are always fucking welcome, dude. By the way, shout out to uh, Slick Diaz, uh, aka Octagon Jones, had a tweet recently that said, rank these uh, from best to worst or whatever, or who, not best to worst, but like what's the best. It was like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, and Star Wars. And I said, hey, look, it's very simple. It's Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, and Star Wars. That's it. And anything else is wrong. I've researched this, and anything else is wrong. And Smokey J had the same answer, and I was like, "Yes, Smokey J, for knowing what's up, dude." Also, hey, if you were to ask me what he thought, he thought of this question, Frodo or Jon Snow, and I automatically knew who was what, you know, two things it was about, and I was like, "Oh my god, is he asked me to pick between Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones?" Because honestly, like Game of Thrones is one of the best shows ever made. But the writers and the producers and everyone involved in the creative process took a piss on that last season and, if we're honest, maybe half of the seventh season. There are some haters that said all of the seventh season, but 
really it was it was like only part of the seventh season and all of the eighth season. They took a fat piss on the eighth season, and that has left a bad taste in everyone's mouth <laughs> from the piss. But hey, I am not going to sit here and disrespect the first six seasons for being some of the greatest pieces of television we've ever seen. But that's not what you're asked. So rants that no one asked for is my brand. Okay? So who who would do better in, in the other one's journey? It's got to be Jon Snow. Because Frodo was was successful because of the people he surrounded himself with, because of the fellowship, because of the people that were willing to die for the cause, because of Sam carrying him up the mountain. That's why Frodo was successful. Jon Snow, whilst he was successful with you know making alliances and things like that, he also was on the front lines, dude. He was putting his own life at risk. He was the one who killed the queen at the end, which was the right move, even though it was terrible. Uh, they, they fucking ruined Danny's arc, dude. I could do a whole episode on why Game of Thrones was so bad. But um, Ashley, the MMA nerd, probably did it better than me. She did a great episode about it when that uh, came out, and that's why she's my soul twin, so okay. Um, but hey, listen, if you were to put Jon Snow in, in Lord of the Rings, he would be infinitely more successful. Dude, if Frodo were to go in to the Game of Thrones universe, there is no there is no subset of the fucking of Westeros where hobbits can thrive. They would be fucking ridiculed. I mean, Tyrion as the lone dwarf is like fucking I mean, he's cunning because of his fucking family and his way with words and his big dick. But otherwise, there's not very many dwarves, and he's ridiculed. Inferno has no people skills in that regard. So, Jon Snow would go into the the, the Lord of the Rings and the Middle Earth and fucking wreck shop, dude. Honestly, if Jon Snow was in Frodo's position, it's not a trilogy. It's a fucking one book and one movie. Which actually brings me to something else I wanted to talk about uh, in terms of of ranking the, the 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 two things, dude. The cultural impact of Lord of the Rings is so much more important than anything Game of Thrones ever did. There is no Game of Thrones without Lord of the Rings because of the fact that Tolkien created, laid the blueprint of how you're supposed to do a fantasy. If you have not read the Silmarillion, you need to do that. Well, I should say if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, like if you don't give a shit about that, don't do it because it'll fucking it, it'll just fucking shed unnecessary light on 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 fucking the bad parts of nerd culture. But if you are in it and you haven't read the Silmarillion, you got to do it because that, that is a prequel to Lord of the Rings and it is, it is the way the universe is set up and it, and it is a, builds a foundation for for everything. So it just shows you how much Tolkien invested into that storyline and it didn't just exist within the confines of those three books, which, by the way, if you didn't know this, Tolkien originally turned in the whole those three books as one novel. That's why some of them have like weird cliffhanger endings. Is because it was originally turned in as one novel, and they were like, "Hey, man, we can't publish a twelve hundred page novel. Get your shit together and make us three books." So he made three books. Anyway, all this to say. <laughs> anyway, all this to say. Hey, if anyone knows that reference, uh, ten points to your house. 
Uh, I bet Guy Shook will know. Maybe Ashley. Um, Andrew will, but I don't think he listens to this podcast regularly. But uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway, all this to say. Letter I received from you two months ago. I noticed a comma in the middle of the phrase. Uh, I've already said too much to make it uh, even easier to get the reference. But all that to say Jon Snow would be more successful in the Lord of the Rings universe or more specifically at uh, achieving the goal of putting the ring into the fires of Mount Doom, but not because Game of Thrones is better, just because he's more apt to succeed under those circumstances. Does that make sense? Wow, that was a too long of a rant for no reason. But again, it's my brand. Great question. Love Smokey J. Shout out to you and your family. I hope you're uh, hope you're just staying safe. And um, if Ollie Ra is listening to this, shout out to him too. I wish when they would both call in and we'd have like dueling bong rips. That was the shit. Do the bong rip Olympics. You guys remember that? OG fans of this podcast will know. Juice, it's your homie Mixed a Man here, just taking a stroll through the zombie apocalypse that is downtown St. Paul, Minnesota, the greatest city in the world. Hey, wanted to get your thoughts on Cowboy Cerrone getting that McGregor effect. I mean, holy shit, is this guy getting paid or what? I mean, he's been promoted to the prelims. <laughs> what the fuck? Is Cowboy Cerrone the stupidest fucking businessman in the face of the earth or what? Uh, one... The McGregor effect clearly is not in full effect because you got your ass kicked on that pay-per-view. You didn't get any points on the pay-per-view, and now you're fighting on the prelims? Come on, man. Want to get your thoughts on that and any other fights you're particularly looking forward to? Um, peace, brother. Ha! Much love to Mix the Man, and as always, much love to the Turbo team, if they're listening, um, for which... Mixed Man is one-fourth of. Uh, Man, dude. (sighs) Cowboy fans are about to be big mad at what he just said, and most likely my answer, which is to say, uh, I don't take issue with anything you said. It sucks. You hate to see it because you're right. If if he uh, got his ass beat uh, by Connor, you'd think that it would at least, uh, like you said, have the regular effect of... um, turning him into a big star however if i'm dissecting this a little more and playing devil's advocate i think the guys that beat connor have the biggest star like when nate beat connor he became a big star even though he lost the rematch he still was a big enough star to to co-main against pettis and then to headline against mazadal habib being i mean he was already on his way to being a really big star on his own but then he became an even bigger star when he beat connor that's the McGregor effect is beating him and taking his shine. Uh, but it, it's a fair point. And, and I mean, I don't know who Cowboy's manager is. He might even be self-managed at this stage of his career, which you hate to see, uh, or just kind of have his coaches help, you know, decide matchups and what like that. But Cowboy's a yes man. He's a company man. He's a guy that will fucking like when he fought Rafael Dos Anjos the second time and, and got starched, he already had a fight lined up against Tim Means, I believe, to 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 fight at 170 in Canada to to make his uh, UFC debut, um, or sorry, <laughs> to make his 170 debut in the UFC, um, and then Tim Means had to pull out and he ended up fighting Cowboy Oliveira. But Cowboy is the guy that's fucking game all the time, so uh, this is this is it. But I 
I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. He's technically headlining the prelims. I, I know we kind of joke about that and we poo-poo that, but I know people that don't, that can't afford the pay-per-view and refuse to stream it, so they thrive on the prelims, and that's their main event. So that spot, and and when you're when you're the last fight on on any section, whether it's the fight pass prelims, which are no longer existent, relates to the ESPN Plus prelims, early prelims, and now they don't promote that as much. It's just like one or two fights, which is really sad. And or if you're headlining the ESPN prelims, which should be the Fox prelims, the FS1 prelims. That's a bigger spot. Like it gets, it gets more billing, it gets more promotion, it gets more marketing. So better, better to be the last fight in the prelims than the first fight in the main card, which is sometimes a forgettable slot. Um, and, and I hope that as such, he is making more money because there are more eyeballs on those fights typically. So I don't know. I guess I'm cautiously optimistic about um, what his payday is. Although he reportedly didn't get a big payday for the for the McGregor fight. So what are you doing, cowboy? Uh, I, I, I kind of got to side with Mix on this, but I'll say this. He's fighting Pettis in a rematch uh, for which he lost, and that was a time when Pettis was at his highest. And I got to say, um, I still probably favor Pettis, but I think it's maybe a closer fight. I mean, if if Calvin wasn't coming off a knockout loss, albeit a TKO or whatever you want to call it, if you want to split hairs, but coming off a stoppage, like I, I would probably favor him. Um, I mean, now he's coming off of fucking three, fuck the Tony and the Gaethje and the and the Connor foot. But um, I don't know. Pettis, uh, Pettis also lost in ideas and then got submitted by Diego Fajeda in his last fight. So this fight is is probably not like a danger that that dangerous of a fight. I mean. That that's almost disrespectful to to either man to say it's not a dangerous fight for 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 the other one, but I I don't know I just see this as more of like a legends fight and not necessarily one to be like hey you shouldn't have taken this fight does that make sense like I'm not too worried about cowboy take sip of drink by the way I feel like people are gonna ask what I was drinking and I don't want to talk about it on the timeline. I mean, I don't mind, but um, I hate discussing the podcast with people who don't listen to the podcast. So um, just to answer that question preemptively, I'm drinking rum and a crystal light because <laughs> I want to avoid carbonation. Normally you would have rum and coke, but I want to avoid that. I don't really drink soda anyway, but I was going to have uh, Canada Dry Green Ginger Ale because it's the best soda uh, out there that's a mainstream soda. And uh, I want to avoid carbonation, and I'm also out of that. So we're having crystal light. Yay. God, I'm so fucking a mess. What's up, Juice? It's your boy. I say do the lot. I got a question for you. With all the scuttlebutt about Fight Island, there's one fight that intrigues me more than any other. And you know what it is. Nate Connor 3. Who takes it and why? Maybe a little discussion about career trajectory based on a win or loss for both these gentlemen. I think it's the fight we all want. I know it's the fight I want. I hope everybody's doing good. Love y'all, MMA Twitter. Uh, beautiful Sunday in Michigan. Hope you guys are all safe, happy, healthy. Love. This is a great question because it's hard to answer. Because I can't just say my answer. I have to give an explanation. I have to kind of explain that. And I have to, I don't know, defend my answer in a way that I don't necessarily want to. 
which is to say that it's sort of cool on MMA Twitter. It's sort of in or whatever you want to sort of hate on Connor for, 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 for being overhyped, for being whatever. And it's also cool to hype up Nate Diaz. And there are genuine people who like uh, Dude, I say Dude a lot, and um, Freelance Goon and Kev Jitsu, who are hardcore Diaz fans and have been since a long time. And it didn't matter about the Connor fight. It didn't matter. They're Diaz fans for life, and that's how they're going to be. But we have to be honest. And there are times when, and I don't always say that because sometimes I, I, I like to live by my motto of not letting the truth get in the way of a good narrative. And, and that's how I do this podcast. But when I think about Nate Diaz, uh, I think about how much I love the guy and I love his fighting style. But when he loses, I, I, I'm not the kind of Diaz fan that makes excuses. And I, I really don't like those Diaz fans. I got to be honest with you. I don't like it. Because we have to be honest and say that he looked like dog shit in his last fight. And I don't want to say that in a, in a negative way. And I really, if you go back and listen to my episode, I did a whole fucking intro about how Jorge was winning the whole fight. And anyone that thought Jorge was like fading in the third round is out of their goddamn mind on drugs. And uh, people like to say Jorge was like overhyped as well and, and, and never like like gonna be a journeyman or whatever but like bro that doesn't help your case if he beat nate diaz now in regards to con when he lost to, to nate the first time he was coming up from featherweight and training for a lightweight fight and then took a fight at welterweight and that's not making excuses for him so much as to say that that was his body type at the time and yeah no he looked really bad he looked really bad and he even admitted like certain times during the fight or maybe he was in between rounds. He like looked up at the monitor at himself and was like checking that. And bro, that's not it, dude. When you're fighting the ideas, you have to be focused. That's not it. And so he made a lot of mistakes in that fight. And then he owned up to him and then fixed that and had a good game plan going into the second fight. But it was still a hard-ass fight. And there are plenty of Diaz fans who think he won the fight. Now, when I watched the fight the first time, I was like, holy shit, I think Nate won that fight. And then I watched it again, and I was like, you know what? I think Connor probably won. I think that was a fair decision. Or, see, see here's the problem. There was one that just scored a, jaw, a draw. I believe it was Glenn Trowbridge. Um, you can look that up, and I'm probably right. I'm usually right. Um, but it was because they gave Nate a 10 in the third round. And then I heard a call between Kevin Ioli, who is an absolute lunatic, and John McCarthy, who is absolute legend and kevin only said he agreed with the draw and then john mccarthy said well if you give a nate a 10 in the third why and by the way john mccarthy ref that fight he said if you give a nate a 10 in the third why aren't you giving connor a 10 in the first for dropping him three times and i was like hold up that makes a fucking lot of sense dude so i feel i feel very conflicted about that second fight now there are way different points in their career because after that fight uh, Connor went on to win the lightweight title in one of his best performances against Eddie Alvarez, and then he fucking embarrassed himself against Floyd Mayweather, and then he embarrassed himself against Habib. But then he took a year and a half off for however long it was, I don't know math, and then beat the brakes off of Cowboy Cerrone at 170. Now, when he beat 170, granted, Cowboy is a career lightweight who had great success at 170, but it's still a career lightweight. He looked good, and as much as I want to be in the crowd and hate on him and say it was a fucking work or whatever people are saying that Cowboy we would take a dive it's so fucking ridiculous he looked good now if we're comparing their last performances because in MMA you're only as good as your last one and as much as that's a 
lame narrative, it sometimes is uh, apropos when you're breaking down a fight because you have to look at where they are in their career. And if you look at Conor's last fight, he looked good. And if you look at Nate's last fight, he did not look good. So if I'm if I'm being honest, now it also matters where the third, uh, what weight the third fight takes place. After the second one, Conor was like, we'll do it again and we'll do it at 155. I was like, yes, that's where the whole fucking fight should have taken place in the first place. No fucking whatever. Connor was a lightweight in Cage Warriors. He's trying to be a lightweight now. He's done cutting to featherweight. He shouldn't be fighting at 170. Let's do this at, at lightweight. But Connor somehow bulked up and, and was a decent size for a welterweight. Not a big welterweight, but like a big lightweight. I don't know. I don't know where he falls. And Nate said he definitely doesn't want to cut to 55 anymore. So so now I'm thinking, like, is this fight going to take place at Walter White if they do the third fight? It's kind of that, like, they both said it's always there. But at a certain point, this fight has an expiration date, and we have to realize that. And I don't know, I don't know if it's the right fight. To be honest, I wanted Conor versus Gaethje at 155. But now Gaethje's fighting Tony Ferguson because MMA gods don't give a shit about us, and they don't care that Tony Khabib has been booked five times and fallen through all five. So if Nate versus Connor 3 happens, I have to say, I'm probably going with Connor, but that's not because uh, I'm a dick rider, which again, is a fucking toxic part of MMA Twitter that says if you say anything positive about, about Connor, that you're a dick rider, and that's not me. But am I a dick rider for other fighters? Yes. It's not like I don't have the in me, it's just not like that about Connor, because he's a fucking fuckhead sometimes. But, you know, shit is crazy. Just absolutely crazy. It's one of my favorite memes that I made of myself. Um, wow, this was another rant that no one asked for. Thank you, dude, for sending in that question. Yeah, I got Connor, but I know you got Nate. But I also want to remind you of the time you sent a voicemail before the um, before UFC 244 and said, how does Jorge win this fight? I don't think he does. And then, and then Nate got spanked. So I just want to remind you of that. Okay, I love you very much. Thank you for sending in the question. Okay, bye. Yo, Juice, type on my photo here. Uh, hopefully I made the cutoff. If not, it's all good. I know you'll listen to this. Uh, ain't got much to say about the makeshift UFC 249 other than hate that bantamweight title fight between Henry Cejudo and that dude who ain't fought in four years. But it's whatever. You know, they got to do what they got to do in this time of this weird, weird time in the in the world for that matter, you know, I'm just glad they're putting on an event, really, I'll obviously be tuned in, um, biggest thing on this, uh, message is, hope you're staying safe out there, keeping you and your family healthy, that's the, that's the biggest thing through all this, dude, you know, we all enjoy your show, stay healthy, thanks for doing it. Dude, you guys gotta go follow this guy, type on my photo, I think the handle is Old Street Kicks, O-L-S-T Kicks. Spelled like a regular person, K-I-C-K-S, not K-I-X, because for fuck's sake, words matter. But Old Street Kicks, O-L-S-T Kicks, typo in my photo is the name. And I've never heard anything negative out of this guy, but uh, has actually debated people in like a good way. Like, I disagree with you because X, Y, Z, um, but it's in a, done in a positive way. And we need more of that in our timeline. So go ahead and follow that guy. Now, you've inspired a rant that another rant that no one asked for, and it is this. Henry Cejudo is a terrible champion. 
Now, I get that there's a bunch of Henry Cejudo fans that are like, don't be fooled by the cringe. He's a good fighter. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that's fine. I'm not here to, to talk about his skills. I'm here to talk about his fucking personality, which is what he's putting forward. Dude, if you put that foot forward, that's what I'm going to talk about. Henry is leading with his with his gimmick and with his persona, and so that's what I'm going to judge him for. And I don't give a shit about his performances because they caused me to lose a bet with myself that was forced on me by my Twitter, and I'm not going to make that mistake again. So here's the deal. Henry Cejudo sucks. And I'm not talking about his abilities. I'm talking about his fucking personality. And here's why, dude. He came into the UFC. He's an Olympian. He's like, I'm a, a, a true athlete. I'm not going to talk smack. He even had somewhat of a beef with Joseph Benavidez. Benavidez, dude. Did I say Benavidez? Joseph Benavidez on The Ultimate Fighter. And was respectful. Like Joseph got in his face and said, Hey, man, how many times have you missed weight? Henry Sudo said, a couple of times. Joseph said, how many times have I missed weight? Zero. And got in his face. And you know what? Henry Cejudo said nothing. And then in the press conference for that fight, which admittedly, probably he should have got the decision. He ended up losing the decision. And that was a terrible decision. But in the press conference, he said these words. And I want you to go find on YouTube. I want you to go find this press conference of Henry Cejudo after the Joseph Benavides fight. He said, I didn't get into this sport to be a big mouth. Guess what, dude? That's what you are. And that's what you've been doing. And you've been dressing up like a magician. And you've been putting on these weird fucking videos with putting your belts and diapers with fake poop in them. And it needs to stop. And there's plenty of Henry Cejudo fans that are here for that gimmick for some reason. And they're like, yes, live in the cringe, bend the knee. Fuck you and you and you. And anyone who looks like you. Bro, I'm tired of it. And you know why? It's because I hate when people flip the script on their own narrative. When Tyron Woodley was supposed to get a title shot after he beat Kelvin Gaslam because he was supposed to fight Johnny Hendricks. That was supposed to be a real title eliminator. And then he fought Kelvin Gaslam. Or no, I'm sorry. I'm probably missing up the timeline. He was supposed to fight Johnny Hendricks, and then Johnny Hendricks missed weight, and then he was supposed to get a bye to get a title shot, and then they gave it to Carlos Condit. He was pissed, and he was like, when did our sport stop being a sport? I'm tired of people getting title shots because of them uh, having more followers on Instagram, or I'm tired of people getting title shots because they look cool or girls like them, and he made this whole analogy about Cam Newton in the Super Bowl and running it back because fucking... I like Cam Newton more than Tom Brady. I was like, Tom, Tyron Woodley, stop taking drugs. And then, dude, he gets his title shot. And what does he do? He goes to the press conference and says, I would really like to give Nick Diaz or George St. Pierre a shot. Fuck out of here, dude. That's the shit that Henry Cejudo was doing. He won a vacant title against Marlon Moraes, and he went on the fucking mic and said, Dana White, I need to get paid. I need to be fighting Dominic Cruz. I need to be fighting Uriah Faber. I need to be fighting Cody Garbrandt. Dude, you skipped the line and fought a guy who should have been fighting for the real title, and he fought a vacant title against you, and you want to fight legend fights against people that should probably retire next year? Go home, Henry Cejudo. Get out of here, dude. I'm tired of you. Get out of here. So when you ask me about this fight, Dominic Cruz is a legend. And I think he has 
some stylistic attributes that could present some problems for Henry Cejudo. Do I think he's probably going to get Russell fucked? Yeah, and that makes me a little sad. However, Dominic Cruz was uh, a wrestler in high school and has made that a part of his game and has some of the best takedowns in that division, dude. And guess what? He was in wrestling camps with Henry Cejudo and knows his game. So do I think Dominic Cruz is going to piece up Henry Cejudo? Yeah, I do. And I don't care if that's me getting mad at the gimmick because you know what? I don't give a fuck what people say about picking with your head versus your heart. I don't give a fuck about getting my emotions in check. This is fight fans. This is real. And that wasn't a complete sentence, but I don't care because I'm angry. I'm angry at fans who think that you should leave your emotions out of it when you're picking fights. Sit the fuck down, dude. When has that mattered in sport? Yugi made a great point in his podcast about uh, if you change teams, if you're a football fan or a basketball fan and you change teams, you're looked at as a fucking Benedict Arnold as a traitor, as a goof, and people do that all the time in MMA, and they think that people should talk about fucking uh, analytics and stats when they pick a fight, like there's some fucking gambling uh, protege. Ew. You know what? I'm I'm so I'm so ill-equipped to answer this question type in my photo because I'm not even emotionally sound to to give a fucking accurate interpretation of 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 whatever you said. And I know you didn't actually answer a question. You were just sharing your thoughts about you didn't like the matchup, and I turned it into a whole thing. But that's what I do, dude. And when there's not a question, I get to answer it however I want. And this is what happened. This inspired a rant. And this is to say that I I don't care that Dominic hasn't fought since UFC 207, which was December of uh, 2016, if memory serves correctly, which is, you know, three and a half years ago. I don't care. I think he's going to beat Henry Cejudo. And if he does, he's going to actually defend the title against challengers, probably. Who knows? But he's got a better shot at doing it than fucking Henry Cejudo, who's been ducking Aljo and Peter Yan for his entire title reign, dude. Not only that, he vacated the flyweight belt because he didn't want to cut weight anymore and he didn't want to fight Joseph Benavidez or Davison Figueredo, which I have my own problems with Davison Figueredo. Let's not even... I can do a whole podcast on why I fucking hate Davison Figueredo. That's not the issue. The issue is... There is no issue because I've run out of steam. <laughs> and that's fine. So thank you for the non-question that made me turn into a rant, which isn't, again, a complete sentence, but I don't care. Juice, what's up, buddy? It's Yugi. Um, damn, I almost forgot what I was going to say again. Just wanted your thoughts on the Brock Weaver dogfighting allegation stuff coming to light uh brock weaver side of it and the ufc side of it because they obviously knew everything that was going on um pretty much anyway i'm recording (laughs) anyway uh keep up the good work man can't wait to hear your podcast take it easy peace first of all bro who was that in the background that you said who was recording to? I need answers. It doesn't have to be on the timeline. You can message me. But I definitely need to know who that was. Because, <laughs> like, what the fuck was that? Um, but also, hey. Right now, I want you guys to go on Twitter. 
and type in. See, I've learned how to search tweets on Twitter. You can look up old tweets, and it's great. And that's how I found my tweets from a year ago. It's how I found my tweets from two years ago. You need to do this. Type in at F-U-U-C-K-Y-U-G-I. That's Yuki's handle. And then type the words Brock Weaver. Now, Brock is spelled B-R-O-K, and Weaver is spelled like Weaver. If you don't know how to spell Weaver, Google it. At fuck Yugi with uh, extra U in the fuck, and then type Brock Weaver. Then you will see his thread from earlier today, which, in all fairness, you could just go to his, to his page and, and scroll through the tweets and find it. But he said he was tweeting about it before, so I want you to find the old tweets as well just to make sure, dude. And go to his page and find that Brock Weaver thread. Hey, look, I was a fan of Brock Weaver. I said it's cool that this guy's uh, grew up on the reservation and he's representing his fucking people. I love that he came out to the headdress. I was came out in the headdress when he when he walked out. I was like, bro, I love it. I love everything about it. And dude, when I saw this thread from Yugi, this is how I quickly I turned, dude. If you do something that fucking pisses me off, I will turn so quickly, dude. And when Yugi had this thread about Brock Weaver getting into some dog fights and he posted video evidence of it. I want to get hashtag cancel Brock Weaver trending. That's how fucking mad I am about this. Hey, you engage in any sort of animal cruelty uh, acts, you are dead to me. You are dead to me. I have always been an animal rights supporter. And anytime anyone does anything that's fucking uh, in... Uh, opposition to that if anyone's doing any sort of anti-animal rights bullshit you are dead to me you're fucking dead to me and i don't care if brock weaver could beat my ass i will gladly take that ass beating so that it maybe saves a dog's life just kidding brock weaver don't come and find me i'll sue you juicy steve k underscore mma here i have a question about ufc 249 it's a stack card which fight are you most looking forward to? Thanks, Juicy. Peace. First of all, I love that he put his handle out there. More people should do that in their voice questions because, hey, this podcast was built from Twitter. That is the vehicle with which we are riding on. Again, not a complete sentence, but we're throwing that out the window for this podcast. But hey, more people need to do that. I don't think I've ever had a voice question from someone who is not active on Twitter Aside from Leo, but he definitely has a Twitter, just only tweets about his White Castle commercials, which, again, I'm here for um, because I love him and I love that commercial. It was really hilarious. But also, submit your Twitter handle when you're doing a voice question so I can properly shout you out, even though I know most of them off the top of my head, dude, because I have a fucking semi-photographic memory, uh, which is something I have in common with uh, someone who no longer listens to this podcast. I won't get shouted out because they muted me, but I continue to follow them because I'm petty and weird, and I don't care if I'm muted. I'm going to continue to follow you. I'm keeping an eye on you. However, you guys should go check out his podcast, Fanboy MMA. It's good shit, but more importantly, he does a show on YouTube. Can you call it a show? I mean, I guess it is a show, but whatever. He has a YouTube channel where he something called MMA Inc., where he interviews um, fighters, uh, MMA fighters that have a bunch of tattoos, and he has them tell the story behind them. And I'm here for that shit, dude. They're great. 
But what fight am I most looking forward to? I would have to say, and I, and I actually missed this uh, at the top of the show when I was talking about the moving UFC 249. Basically, it's all the fights that I talked about either last week or the week before or whenever I talked about UFC 249 and it wasn't happening and then they moved it. It's all those fights except for uh, Felicia Spencer and Amanda Nunes are no longer fighting because Amanda Nunes, like a proper champion and a fucking coherent individual is like hey guys let's let this pandemic die down let me get a full training camp and let's do this the right way and if you are mad at Amanda News for pulling out lose my number okay lose my number but also one thing that was changed other than Amanda News pulling out of that fight and that fight getting strapped Fabricio Verdum versus Alexi Olenek uh are on the card. Now, there are some MMA fans who pronounce it Wordum. And I just gotta say, if you pronounce Fabricio Verdum Wordum, also lose my number. Or listen to this podcast and ask, dude, you have a Brazilian friend. I fucking know it. You have a Brazilian friend, you have a friend that's Portuguese, and you have to ask them how these names are pronounced, dude. Whenever I heard well, actually, which is my favorite podcast, there's no longer in existence, and I really want to have Fernanda on the podcast, but I've been too scared to ask her. When I heard her tell her uh, favorite fighters of the last decade, and she said Jose Aldo, and she said, hey, it's pronounced Jose, I was like, of course, dude, I've been saying Jose this whole time, like a fucking stupid gringo, and I need to be saying Jose, Jose Aldo. Names matter, pronunciation matters. Fabricio Verdum, not Wordum, okay? All right. Anyway, that's probably my favorite fight. <laughs> Steve is the Verdum versus Olenek fight. But I also am really intrigued by the Bryce Mitchell-Charles Rosa fight. I'm also really intrigued by Michelle Watterson versus Carla Sparza. Um, I could give a fuck about Nico Price versus Vicente Luque. But um, that's an opinion no one asked for. Which again is my brand. Hey, also... Dominic Cruz versus Henry Cejudo is intriguing to me stylistically. And I'm sad that we're not getting it with a full training camp. And I'm actually a little worried for Dominic now that I'm thinking about it. Because Dominic actually trains at Alliance and he has a real camp. But Henry Cejudo has one of those like Mickey Mouse camps like Tony Ferguson where they train like kind of privately. And and uh, that might actually benefit Henry Cejudo. And now I'm worried, dude. And if you think I'm going to make another asshole bet, you're out of your goddamn mind. Which, again, was never supposed to be a bet, but people took that tweet way too seriously. And that's not something I'm ever going to talk about the podcast again. Which means I'll probably talk about it one more time before this episode is done. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for a lot of those fights. I'm excited for Jarzinho Rosenstrike versus Francis Zagano, dude. And there's some people that think it's cool to hate on Rosenstrike just because he's had four fights in the UFC. And there's some people that are riding Francis Dick. And they forget that he got wrestle-fucked by Stipe. And then had one of the worst performances of anyone's career against Derek Lewis. You guys forget that. And the world is not ready to have a conversation about why Francis Zagano is going to lose, dude. The world is isn't ready for that conversation but that is a fight i'm looking forward to and hey i'll gladly crow if jarzino loses and i'll gladly uh pretend to ignore it whenever it happens but i'm not ready to jump on the francis hype train again i'm not ready i've been burned before dude i've been burned before 
He burned me against Stipe. He burned me against Derek Lewis. And Francis Ngannou stands are the worst. So thank you, Steve, for that question. Again, go check out his podcast. Go check out MMA Inc. Because I love it. And um, I think we got one more voice question. And that is a rant from MMA Catfish. So let's hear it. Hey, Juice. It is MMA Catfish. I thought I would send you another question that you will probably say, gosh, I kind of get what he's putting down. But at the same time, he's a fucking dummy. Because, I don't know, I love you and your short hair and your kind of sort of shaved face, you sexy bitch. Listen, 249, Florida. I mean, duh, we all knew that, right? But, uh... Why won't they just outline for us their plan on how they're going to keep people safe? Because I could actually buy in if the plan was anything other than mind your own business, you fucking goof. So, you know, I think that's a reasonable expectation of me to say, if you want me to buy into your plan that potentially puts people at risk much more than just those directly involved, but also everyone around them when they go fucking home... Outline it for me. Why is that so hard? He doesn't have to give me the complete word-for-word verbatim, but it's not hard to tell people the general plan on how you're going to keep people safe instead of just being, well, Dana fucking white. Okay, first of all, go follow MMA Catfish. That's number one. Number two, for the first time in a few episodes, um... Sir, you're talking a lot of sense. And which isn't to say that you weren't talking sense before, but it was in a little bit of a contrarian way and I just couldn't get 100% behind it. But now I am. And dude, here's the thing. We are living in a, I want to say post-COVID world because we're, it's not really post-COVID because it hasn't, we haven't gotten on the other side of it yet, but we are in it. And we're, 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 we're now in a world where we can no longer operate in a normal way. When before the UFC had USADA, they were regulated as well as still regulated by, by the commissions, but drug testing was also handled by the commissions. And when they were pressed about it, when they're pressed about getting TRT out and they're pressed about other things and allegations of different people juicing, they were like, hey, listen, we're regulated by the commission. And that, in my opinion, was not cutting it. That was just saying, like, hey, uh, we got it taken care of. Don't worry about it. And clearly they didn't because people were still juicing. Now I have my own feelings about that. Sometimes you saw it does more harm than good. And that's not a, a topic for this episode. But what is a topic for this episode is how the UFC operates. I am not in any position to fucking trust Dana White. You know what I've learned during the, this whole ordeal? If you are not an epidemiologist or any sort of person in the medical profession, I don't give a shit about your opinion on on the effects of this virus, on on anything else. I want to hear from professionals. And you know what? I want to hear from the UFC about what they plan to do in regards to keeping everyone safe. Because hey, we are in a in a position where transparency matters. This is a this is a new era with social media and technology where everyone wants to know everything all the time. And just saying, hey, we got it, don't worry about it, is not it, Chief. That's not it. When I go onto my Taco Bell app on my phone to place an order, 
they say, hey, you want to know about the measures we're taking in COVID-19 and to prevent the spread of it? Every single time. And I can read about the, the, the measures that my favorite fast food chain is taking uh, to prevent the spread of the virus. Why can't I hear that from the UFC? If I expect that from my fast food, why aren't I expecting it out of an organization that makes money off of grown men and women beating the shit out of each other for money when blood is exchanged, when contact is necessary? Why aren't I assured of the measures you are taking? We need a statement from the Florida Athletic Commission. We need a statement from the UFC. We need a statement from WIMG. We need a statement from Dana White. We need a statement from Bruce Buffer, for God's sakes. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being kept in the dark. I'm tired of the fans that are just like, shit, yeah, fights are back on. Woo! And hey, I said it before. I'm going to buy these fights. And I'm going to support the fighters so that they make money. And I'm going to watch it so that I have something to talk about on this podcast. And so that I continue to provide content in the midst of a pandemic. But we need answers. I don't want to be watching it worried for their safety. I already am worried about their safety. It comes with the job. But I don't want to be added. I don't want to have added fear. When I was watching UFC Brasilia, which was the last fight card that we had... In the UFC anyway, I was worried. I was like, why don't they have uh, a proper corner? Why, why uh, like, are they going to have to get tests afterwards? Random Marcos and John McDessie went home and said they had symptoms and were not given the test. They were just told to self-quarantine for 14 days. This is not it, guys. And I've tried my hardest to be an escape during this time because I know that people go to entertainment for an escape. When I watch a show on Netflix or a movie or when I listen to a podcast, I don't want to be reminded of the shit show that we're in, but I can't not talk about it. Jesus. Go follow MMA Catfish. Um... And it's really, really funny when he's an account named MMA Catfish and he has people sliding into his DMs who are catfishes themselves, themselves, whatever the proper grammar is. I'm drunk. And they are trying to catfish him and he posts the DMs and they still do it, dude. Wow, people on Twitter are so stupid. Wow. Anyway, Seth um, posting his DMs is the content I'm here for. So go go follow that. Now let's move on to the Twitter forum so we can hear from the lovely people of MMA Twitter. But before I read the Twitter questions, I want to give a shout out to my good buddy, Phil, the MMA dude, co-host of the Split Decision podcast. Uh, Give me a really good compliment about my show recently and uh, compliments like that keep me going because sometimes I record the show and I'm like, oh, that was terrible. Why did I even put that out? And then people tweet about it or they DM me. It just it keeps me going. And I'm like, yes, people still love it. People still care about it. Let's keep doing this podcast. 
So uh, go go follow Phil if you haven't already. And listen to his podcast with Fike. They're back on track now doing episodes again. And it's uh, much appreciated in this uh, in this time. So the first uh, question comes from Fraser at FuzzLCFC. Definitely go follow him. And he uh, asked that I sort of talk about his tweet where he talked about um, the criteria for judging. Uh, so it's it's a good point to bring up and I want to talk about a little bit. So uh, his tweet says, We all think we know how to score a fight, but a lot of us don't. We're all entitled to our opinion, and rightly so, but some people on here need to be educated properly. Please read. It only takes a couple of minutes. And I'm not going to sit here and go through the, the, the whole criteria, but it's important that you do. Go to the forum post and or go to his Twitter and, and, and read it. Because I'll, I'll, so I'll read the first part. And this is as of 2017, so which I which I believe was when they updated the unified rules to uh, to include better judging criteria to focus on like duration and damage and um, what was the other one it was like the three Ds. Um, this says dominance, dominance, duration, do, dominance, and um, damage. Now this one. Uh, substitutes damage for impact but if you think about the 3d i think that's because they wanted to, to not have damage like that sort of wording makes you think to exclude submissions and, and grappling in general but duration damage and, and impact are the are the are the main criteria for judging and it says effective striking and grappling shall be considered the first priority of round assessments Effective aggressiveness is a plan B and should not be considered unless the judge does not see any advantage in the effective striking and grappling realm. Cage slash ring control is plan C and should only be needed when all other criteria are 100% even for both competitors. This will be an extremely rare occurrence. Here's the thing, dude. Not enough people know this and not enough people abide by this. And this goes back to what I said about the the virus about the pandemic if you are not an epidemiologist i don't care about your opinion if you are not a judge or someone who knows this criteria i don't care about your opinion so when there are people who say that oh my opinion this guy won that round or whatever i gave it to him because of aggression you don't know about this rule dude and it's so apparent to me and when i look at this and and hey i'm not the kind of guy that judges fights round by round usually and i know that's the the confines under which we operate and i know that's what we need to be doing when you're judging a fight, but in terms of fan judging, in terms of online interaction, I don't sit here and go, well, oh, he took that round, or, or this, this, in my opinion, was 49-46. I just go, at the end of the fight, I'm like, I think that guy won. Which, again, is not accurate, but it, it all falls under my plan about when people are talking about who won, it doesn't matter if you're not following this criteria, dude. And it doesn't matter what you think if... Your favorite fighter didn't get their hand raised and you want to cry about it. All right, I'm done getting on that pedestal. Go uh, follow Fraser at FuzzLCFC and go check out that tweet or go check out the forum post. And I linked it there. Um, this next question is from Antonio Pineta. Antonio Pineta. A-N-T-O-N-I-O-P-I-N-N-E-T-T-A. Grazie mille. Frazella, Fragella, whatever the fuck. Dude, go follow this guy. He's nothing but positive. 
super supportive and always apologizes for his English and has better English than half of him on Twitter. Dude, it's so funny to me. But seriously, go follow him because he's great. Uh, he says, my brother Juice, I want to know what you think about UFC 249 and who do you got on the main card? Stay safe, my brother. Here's the thing, dude. I'm going to give my picks the week before that fight as far as like what I think for the main card. That's how I do every episode when there is an actual fight looming. And um, I want to say this. You guys know I got to, I'm, I'm, I'm a ride or die Tony Ferguson fan. I am. And there are some people that have an issue with Tony Ferguson because of the way he acted on the MMA. On, on, I just almost said on the MMA fighter. Wow, dude. On the ultimate fighter on tough. And and that's fine, and I get that, but I became a fan of him after that, and then I went back and watched it, and I think, you know what, he was an idiot, he was young, and I, I've, he, I've seen where he's come now, and he's overcome that, so I'm, I'm fine, and dude, whenever I see Tony Ferguson talk, and I hear him talk, and I see the videos he posts, I'm a super fan, dude, and I, I love Tony Ferguson. And in my mind, he was supposed to be fighting Khabib. And I always said that Tony is the guy that can get it done against Khabib. And just because it's just engaging, I'm not going to switch that, dude. And you might think that makes no sense. But don't watch, dude. Don't watch your opinion. Because Tony is going to strangle Justin Gaethje, dude. Are you kidding me? I, I was listening to the MMA Marks podcast. And I got to shout out those guys because they've been supporting me from the beginning. And we've been supporting each other. And they had Lat B on. And they said something that I want to talk about earlier, but I can't remember because I'm drunk. And uh, I remember listening to it being like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? But it wasn't them. I think it was Lat B. But I also love Lat B, so I'm not hitting on them either. It was just something that I want to disagree with. But anyways, uh, Buddy from the MMA Marks, who is the main, like one of the main two, was like, um, if Gage touches you, you're done. And I got to say, hey. This is the age of debate of what um, happens between an immovable object and an unstoppable force. Is that, yeah, Gaethje knocks out a bunch of people that are um, chinny, but Tony Ferguson gets dropped and comes back. Tony Ferguson brings himself to the brink of death so that he can tire you out, and then he fucking chokes you or he TKOs you because Tony doesn't give a shit, dude. Tony doesn't give a shit about your leg kicks. Tony doesn't give a shit about your D1 wrestling that you never use. Tony doesn't give a shit about your knockout power. Tony's going to march you down, dude. This is going to be like the Edson Barbosa fight, dude. Go back and watch Tony Ferguson versus Edson Barbosa and tell me this is not a fucking recipe for Tony Ferguson to beat the shit out of Justin Gaethje. Tony thrives in chaos and Justin brings the chaos. And who's going to come out on top, dude? Tony El Kukui Ferguson, the real boogeyman. All right, dude. After another rant that no one asked for, let me move on to Derek Lewis's hot balls at Pixie Dust 26. She says, what do you think about Dana confirming that if Tony... Wow, the fucking unnecessary commas in this tweet. What do you think about... Sorry, I love you. What do you think about Tony confirming that if... What, sorry, Jesus, what do you think about Dana confirming that if Tony loses the fight against Gaethje, that Justin will get the next title shot? Here's the thing, dude. Gaethje put together a decent win streak. He knocked out James Vick. He knocked out Edson Barboza. He knocked out Cowboy Cerrone. And he's knocking on the door of a title shot. So if he beats Tony Ferguson, I think he should. Now, am I the kind of person that wants to see Tony versus Khabib under any circumstance? Yes. I don't care if we give Tony Ferguson a touchdown on a loss, and I do sort of like the idea of him being rewarded for taking this fight against short notice with respect to the consequences, knowing that he could lose his title shot. But 
I do like the fact that Justin would have to earn it, and being Tony Ferguson is enough to give you a title shot, even if it's a dude. If let's say comma worthy, right? He's a guy who had his one UFC fight. Um, it was supposed to fight Michael Johnson. I don't know if that fight's still going down. Just a random guy, right? A random guy that was an underdog who knocked out this guy and was a was a massive upset in his UFC debut. If for some reason he was the only lightweight available and he got a fight against Tony Ferguson and somehow beat Tony Ferguson, I would I would be behind him getting a title shot. And that's not to say that I think that will happen or should happen or needs to happen because I don't give a fuck about coming worthy. But hey, if you beat Tony Ferguson, you get a title shot, and that's the fucking deal, dude. So I, I don't care that um, Gaethje would be sort of robbing us of Tony versus Khabib. I don't care they would be playing spoiler. That sort of thing is kind of uh, peak MMA. You know what I mean? I mean, Mike Swick was supposed to get a shot against GSP and Dan Hardy spoiled that party, dude. So, hey, this would be the most MMA thing to happen. All right. This next question is from... King Kronz, a.k.a. Dan Domestic at D. Kronz. Oh, he's just saying he was trying to send a voice question. Anyway, shout out to D. Kronz. He's a great guy. Go follow him. And um, anyways, give him a follow. All right, this next question is from Kim Close at Kim Close underscore four. He says, this is a hypothetical situation. You're a UFC fighter for this he said hypocritical, and I want to say that's not me being drunk. That's him typing hypocritical, and he means hypothetical, but he said it earlier, so he should have said it twice. But this hypothetical situation. A, which gym would you choose to train at and why? And B, would you stay on your feet during your fights or prefer to take your opponents to the ground? C, what would you prefer weight class B? This is a great question. So A, um, here's the thing. For these hypotheticals, you have to just say, oh, like, it's a hypothetical situation, so you could say whatever. Like, I could say, I would love to do a camp at Tiger Muay Thai in Thailand, uh, or Phuket Top Team, or whatever, or even AKA Thailand, I think it's called, that Mike Swick runs, because I would want to train in Thailand, and that would be a cool thing to just go and be just immersed in it and not have any distractions. But also, I believe it's important to be surrounded by people you love and have some sense of normalcy. Like, I believe that Steep A maintaining his job as a firefighter is actually what makes him such a force dude because he didn't give up anything he still has to put in time he has to schedule training dedication like the fact that Bala muhammad still schedules his camps around ramadan and fights during it makes him dude ramadan Bilal is like fucking sea level cane like it doesn't get talked about enough about fucking certain fighters that are just unbeatable like Ramana Bilal is a fucking force. And that's why I wouldn't leave this area, dude, because I wouldn't want to be surrounded by my family or surrounded by Kate and my kids. Um, because in this hypothetical scenario, I have kids, so don't at me about that. And I would want to train at probably Nicotone so that I would maybe get some get some work in with Frankie Edgar and, and those guys and um, Eddie Alvarez and any, anyone who trains there. I'd also maybe work, want to work with Mark Henry. Um I would also love to punch Zabib in the face, but that's just a dream of mine. Um, but if otherwise, I would want to probably train it like, I don't know, um, somewhere in LA, like King's MMA or anywhere that I could be. Dude, there was a time like before I got cancer, and this is going to get a little sad for a second, so I'm sorry, but there was a time before I got cancer when I actually was like, I was going to get my life in order and I was going to train MMA and, and want to have at least some amateur fights under my belt to like uh, test myself. I was going to like, train and see if my coaches were you know would would say that i would be ready for an mma fight 
and then I got cancer and I kind of derailed that. But I, I, I remember going to an improv show um, right before that. And I looked at my friend Leo, who's been on this podcast, and I said, hey, man, I just decided that I'm going to train MMA. And when I do fight, I need you in my corner. And without missing a beat, dude, he said, absolutely. Because you know what's important? It's about having uh, support from your friends and family. And the fact that Leo was like, dude, I'll fucking spar with you. Like already I was like, this is the right choice. And Leo is the right training partner. Like we would have, dude, if you don't want to fucking punch your best friend in the face for the good of, of, of a training camp, you're not it. And and we were both ready for that. And so, uh, Leo and I actually grappled one time (laughs) on my, on the week of my wedding for the bachelor party, which is actually what happened during the recording of mixed martial opinions, which you can listen to, but you won't be able to see what's going on. Um, but anyways, dude, it would have to be either in New Jersey or in LA because I would have to train somewhere where I'm surrounded by support and love and where I could maintain my normal lifestyle. So, so that's number one. Now what I say on the feet during fights or prepare to take importance to the ground. Here's the thing, dude, I love jujitsu. I, I really that that's one of the things that made me fall in love with MMA is the fact that it has the grasp grappling aspect and that there are submissions because sometimes I see a really good like submission uh, artist and and someone grab a submission and I'm like wow dude that's fucking magic and uh, when I trained jujitsu the one time I rolled with a brown belt and I got submitted like left right and center and during it I had escaped a couple submissions. And then I watched the video and I was like, oh, he was actually just setting me up for the real submission. So it didn't matter that I escaped it. He was just toying with me the whole time. So I, on the one hand, and I outweighed him, by the way, by like 100 pounds. And, and, and or maybe <laughs> somewhere between 50 and 100, I don't know. But during that, I was like, I could actually do this. And um, if I were to train for real, jujitsu might be my specialty. However, what... I my background is what I, the only martial arts training I have is in striking is in is in karate and taekwondo and, and kempo and that that's the martial arts I did growing up, and so I would probably fight like a fucking man like I would probably fight like Tony Ferguson where I I would take one to give one, and um I would probably try and just drag you down and grab a submission if I could find it but otherwise I would just fucking slug it out, and that's the kind of person I am, and as far as my preferred weight class like I've thought about this a lot so like I don't like weight cutting and i know it's sometimes necessary for certain things and um you know every the the problem is like everyone's body type is different so like a weight can always be arbitrary like size weight doesn't so much matter as size and 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 body type like you gotta be in the right you know frame of 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 your body uh to, to compete fairly and I get that people cut weight, but for me, like I wouldn't and right now, like I would be a heavyweight for damn sure. But if I trained and if I got in shape, I would probably be close to a middleweight if I'm honest. Like the best shape of my life I, I was in, I was probably like 190 and like, that's fine. And there's a, there's plenty of welterweights and lightweights who walk around at 190, but that's not it, dude. For me, I'm also 6'2", 6'3", on a good day. So, uh, yeah, dude, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like fucking James Vick, a 6'3", lightweight. Get out of here, dude. All right. Um, the last question is from Marilyn. And this is probably going to um, inspire another rant. So we've got to talk about it. Uh, first of all, it's at Dairy Free Nomad. You should definitely give her a follow. 
And she says, I'd like to know your opinion on this one, mate. Surely Cowboy versus Pettis and Esparza versus Watterson are bigger fights than Hardy versus DeCastro. I'm disgusted that a mediocre wife beater is still in main card events just because he's mates with Dean Thomas. Holy shit. There's so much to unpack here. First of all, love the question. Love love your your Twitter. Definitely go give her a follow. And I love the support. Second of all, she hasn't been listening to me um, that long. In, in, in retrospect, I'm so drunk. With regards to like the time frame of Greg Hardy's UFC career, and, and here's the thing. After, I want to say it was his fight against Ben Sassoli, the inhaler gate fight, um, or maybe it was before that. It was somewhere around that time frame where I fucking read the riot act of the whole timeline of a fucking Greg Hardy and why he should not be fighting and why he should not be given any opportunities and, and, and why this is not his second chance. This is probably his fifth chance and that those things shouldn't exist. And I read his whole fucking history of, of, of the thing that happened with his, his, his girlfriend and then the whole bullshit thing that happened. Or maybe it was his wife. I definitely said at the time, but I don't know. Here's the thing. It's not just the fact that he's mates with Dean Thomas. He trains an American top team, which is where the Dean Thomas connection comes in. But where that comes in is his manager is Malki Kawa or Abe Kawa or the Kawa brothers or anyone involved in first round management. He went to them for an opportunity and they gave it to him. They're at fault here. They're the ones that set him up with a fucking shot at American top team. They're the ones that said, hey, you can go stay in the dorms and you can train there. They're the ones that got him spots on Air Hawani show to be talked about. They're the ones that gave him a platform to then get on the Dana White Contender Series and get him a fucking, what is it called, a developmental contract, which didn't even come to full fruition because they gave him a UFC fight already against Alan Crowder, which shouldn't have even happened. Which is all this to say, Yeah, those fights are bigger, and they have, well, at least Esparza versus Watterson has divisional implications, where which Hardy versus DeCastro has none. So you're right, that fight should not be buried on the prelims. But what are we going to do? This is the situation we're in. In my opinion, like, we have to deal with Greg Hardy at some point. Like, in, he's only, he's right now fighting heavyweights that are sort of at his level of competition in terms of record. Like, it's only fair because of you know the commission will only approve certain fights, so you can't put him against a top ten heavyweight yet. Even though we all want to see that and we want to see him get buried, you know he should be fighting on the undercard. Like non-ranked fighters should not be fighting on the on the fucking main card. Like that's it. But here we are. So I think what we have to do at this time is as as long as he's not taking away a spot from something that should be reserved for a title fight. I think we just have to grin and bear it. And yes, we should be speaking out against it, which I am by doing this in, in a sense. And we should definitely be saying, hey, um, this guy shouldn't be fighting. But you know what? I actually like Jorgen de Castro's fucking chances. And I'm, and I'm just trying to take the silver lining in the fact that a guy with his story um, should be getting a platform hopefully he can capitalize on by beating the dog shit out of Greg Hardy. And you know what? I hope it's not a first round knockout. I hope he drags him into deep water and I hope he fucking smothers him. And that's the only thing I will be satisfied with.
Wow. I think I had more in the tank if this if I'd answered this question earlier, but I, I I've already ranted about so many things. This probably this episode probably holds a record for amount of rants held. So I think I'm gonna have to end that here. Great question and much love to to Marilyn and uh, shout out to you and and Mr. F. But I lied. There was one more question that came in at the buzzer, and sometimes these questions are the best. And so I always try and keep up with my Twitter feed and things like that whenever um, I'm recording so that I can catch up to the minute updates. And you know what? I got a last-minute submission from the homie Phil the MMA dude. And this is a great question. And I, and I, I said earlier uh, about Phil, but definitely go check out his podcast, the Split Decision Podcast that he hosts with the Fight Geek. Um, i supposed to come on that podcast at some point. Hopefully we can make that happen. And he says, hey, Juice, MMA dude here. Just how much just having Justin and Tony fight in May hurt the winner's chances when they fight Habib in September. Personally, I think it changes the dynamics of a Habib fight for the winner completely. I liked Tony's chances against Habib before, but we all know whoever wins this Justin-Tony fight is taking extreme amounts of damage. So now I think Habib will beat the winner far more easily than if Justin versus Tony didn't happen. Is the UFC trying to pr- protect Habib's undefeated record because it's very hard to see him losing now. And this this just fucking dropped a load of truth on my lap that I was not ready for. Let me tell you this right now. And that's why I included it in this episode because I need to be fucking in check sometimes. Because here's the thing. As much as a Tony Stan as I am, I'm, he's right. But I, I will try and play devil's advocate a little, a little bit, not just for the sake of 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 conflict or whatever. I, I do I do believe this, and I, I I always hold out hope, because I think hope is uh, one of the greatest um, forms of of humanity that we can have. Um, and that is this. He's right about the damage. Both fighters, um, not only do they get into some wars but their opponents are never the same so the winner is absolutely coming in coming out on the other side you know taking extreme amounts of damage but i will say this we're dealing with different human beings we're dealing with a guy in tony ferguson who had major surgery on his i want to say his acl or whatever happened with his knee on the fox lot when he tripped over the cable who came back six months later and gave us a fight of the year against anthony pettis we are dealing with a guy in justin gaethje who has no fear when jeff nowitzki went on the joe rogan podcast one of the times he went on there and uh uh phil has a good point about Rogan just serving up softballs in regards to the John Jones issue. Like, that's totally valid point. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about one thing he said about Justin Gaethje. And he just said, in my experience with dealing with fighters, they all show some level of fear when they're in the cage. Justin Gaethje shows absolutely none. He looks happy to be there, and it's scary. And that is what we're dealing with. When Justin Gaethje got sent to the UFC, he was undefeated. He was a World Series of Fighting champion. He was... uh just fucking wrecking people and he said i need this o to go i need my undefeated record to be gone i need to be put in the scariest matchups he called out edson barboza who at the time was a fucking scary dude he called out habib before habib was champion because he was he was wanting to fight another undefeated monster like this is the guy that we're dealing with in justin gaethje so regardless of how they come out of the fight i believe they're going to turn around four months later 
even if they're not 100%, they're going to give 110% in that fight. So you're right, and it does hurt their chances, but it's not going to stop me from giving my analysis the, the same time I would now. Like, if you're asking me to break down Gaethje, Khabib, and Tony Khabib right now, I'm going to give that same analysis to the winner right before their fight with Khabib in September or wherever it may be, whenever it materializes. Because I believe we're, those two individuals are extraordinary. Now, it, we all know that it takes an extraordinary... extraordinary for fuck's sake, it takes an extraordinary individual to get in a cage in the first place. But if you take about talk about those those that group of people as a subset of human, there's a subset within that, which is to say that those other people are on another level. The kind that walk through fire, the kind that just don't give a fuck about what you're going to throw at them and they're going to impose their will. Though that's what we're dealing with. So great question, Phil. Great, great question. Go check out his podcast. Uh, they just released an episode last Wednesday, I believe. The days are blurring together, so I don't know. I believe I think it was Wednesday because that's a normal day, but definitely go check it out. Uh, and uh, definitely check out his podcast moving forward. And um, that really concludes the forum. That was sort of an addendum to the forum, which... It's kind of funny if you think about episode 15A of this podcast, and that's all I'll say. Now, if you want to join the forum, you can do so anytime. So if you're listening to this podcast and there's something in your mind you want to talk about it, you can either send me a DM at FWM underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can send me an email at fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. You can send out a voice question to uh, through Anchor by downloading the Anchor app and searching Fighting With Myself and recording it. Or you can record it on your phone or any other device you may have and emailing that to fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. I make it so easy. There's so many ways to get involved in the podcast. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I've even had people to make a video and DM me that video and I've played the audio of the video on the podcast. Um, Phil has done that. Uh, Man of Mayhem has done that. Other people have done it. I never shy away. Even... For God's sake, Pixie Dust sent me this link that I had to go on the online and play from like a website that I've never even heard of and play the audio clip through there. I will jump through hoops to get your voice on this podcast because I think it's important. So if you're sitting at home and you're thinking no one cares about my opinion, you're wrong because I do and I think my listeners will. And connecting with my fans is what I really love to do. Mixta told me one time, a very good compliment, which is to say that, you know, he's from Minnesota and he stands Minnesota and Minnesotan fighters in general. And him talking about, uh, like being a fan of crochet boss on the podcast because he was, uh, 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 from Minnesota and because he got one of those little hats because he put mats in his gym because that's the business he's in. And him saying that people reached out to him because of that and saying, Hey, I'm from Minnesota too, dude. Connecting MMA fans is what I love. And that, that's so important. That's the most important part of this podcast. So, um, please, please join the forum. It's it's going to help get us through this whole time. It's going to keep our sanity during a pandemic. And I can already hear that my voice is going. And if we're honest, it probably was gone probably halfway through this episode, but I kept pushing through because that's what I do. And with that, I will just say good night and good fights. And normally I end the podcast on that. But I thought that was a little abrupt, so I'm rambling 
to try and come up with something else. Which is just to say that be nicer to everybody. Like, the amount of trolling I've seen recently is off the fucking charts. Like, there shouldn't be any during a pandemic. We should all be kind and respectful. We should all be trying to build each other up. Like, I, th I think about the, the stuff I've seen from other content creators. And I, I try and share it more than probably anyone wants to but I, I i need i need to be supportive of everyone during this time because i would want that for myself it's kind of the golden rule you know like when i see um uh chica p posting a photo that she took of leon edwards i'm like yeah dude that's the shit i do like i share it because i fucking love her work and after episode 18 of the podcast when i talk about my cancer she reached out and that was the first time i knew that she even listened to the podcast and it was great to me so I always share other content creators' work because it's important. Anyway, all this to say, <laughs> I really want to hear from anyone who knows that because if you know that reference, and I know the people that will know, but I don't know if I'll hear from them, but if you are listening and you know that reference, then definitely um, hit me up so that we can talk about um, the reference. All right, I'm rambling. Um, next week, I'm going to try and get a guest. I, I feel like I say that every episode and I don't deliver, but just know that... Um, I suffer from anxiety and uh, it's sometimes hard for me to like, I don't know, imposter syndrome is definitely real and um, like I don't want to do a episode with a guest who like doesn't want to be there and I don't know. I'm also not as good at an interviewer as like someone like Rhino who's good at interviews. Definitely check out the Combat Sports with Rhino podcast. Um, so yeah, this is like, this podcast has been like Shawshank Redemption. It's probably about as long and it has like four endings. <laughs> if anyone gets that reference, let me know. Much love to everybody. Stay safe. Wash your goddamn hands and stay the fuck inside.